Welcome to Hillside Baptist Church Podcast. We are a church that is committed to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is our privilege to open God's word with you. It is our prayer that you receive the message from the man of God with an open heart. That through God's word, you are encouraged and equipped to face life's challenges. But most importantly, it is our prayer that you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior if you haven't already. If you'd like to connect with us, you can do so at hillsidebc.com, find us on Facebook, or send us an email at info at hillsidebc.com. We hope that you benefit from today's message and that you would share it with a friend. But let's now open our hearts and God's Word. We've been talking about building faith in... And we've talked about three or four different things. We started off the week building faith in God's Word, and that is number one. That is our foundation. It's the foundation for our church. It ought to be the foundation for our homes, for our lives, for every area of our life. The Word of God should be our foundation. So we ought to build faith in God's, in God's Word. We talked about building faith in God's design. We are designed by God for a purpose. And um, last night we talked about how God created man and man fell in the Garden of Eden. The first sin, Adam and Eve, ate of the fruit in disobedience. And thus sin came into the world and death by sin. So death passed upon all men for that all of sin. And so we are all sinners because the first two parents sinned and passed that sin nature down to our lovely little grandchildren. <laughs> Isn't that hard to believe? They're little sinners, but they can grow up and be saved. And there is hope for them, <clears throat> and they can walk with God and teach others to be saved. And so, uh, though we're sinners, He still has grace to save, He still has grace to keep, and He still has grace to enable us all through life to do what God wants us to do. And so, God is the enabler for marriage, enabler for your ministry, enabler for raising kids. He is the divine enabler for you. And He is the power source that we ought to plug into. And so uh, what we ought to do is take steps of obedience depending on Him for strength and direction and the results. And that is the Christian life, taking steps of obedience. So tonight, tonight we'll take the last lesson in this series, Building Faith in God's Warnings. And tonight we're going to look at Noah and the ark. And the, or the flood of Noah, how God's judgment came on the world so long ago, but still God's grace was seen even in that terrible, terrible disaster. So you can take your Bible to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis 6, we have the story of Noah and the ark. In Genesis chapter 6 through 9, uh, we'll read quite a, a bit of it, but not all of it. It's all there for our <clears throat> reading and understanding. So by introduction tonight, I want to start with first God's preparations. God's preparations. God prepared Noah. If you're there in Genesis, look at chapter 5 and look at verse 18. God prepared Noah. God knew the flood was coming. God planned the flood to come because of the sins of man. And so God began to prepare Noah, chapter 5 and verse 18. Um, we're going to skim through some of these names, but just to give you a general idea, Jared lived 162 years. He begat Enoch, and 
Jared lived after he begat Enoch 800 years and begat sons and daughters. All the days of Jared were 900 years. In verse 21, Enoch lived 65 years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. Those are key words, Enoch walked with God. And I think that Enoch taught Noah to walk with God. Let's keep reading. Methuselah lived, eight, uh, lived uh, 187 years and begat Lemek. And Methuselah lived after he begat Lemek 782 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Methuselah were 969 years and he died. And Lemek lived 182 years and begat a son and he called his name... Thank you. He called his name Noah, saying, This same shall comfort us concerning our work and toil of our hands, because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed. And Lemek lived after he begat Noah 595 years. All the days of Lemek were 777 years, and he died. And Noah was 500 years old. You thought you were old when you had kids. <laughs> Noah was 500 years old, and Noah begat Sham, Ham, and Japheth. And uh, uh, that's a long time to live. Man, how old are you? 372. Wow. He's, you're getting up there. But God prepared Noah, and Noah learned to walk with God. And God gave him three helpers and their wives. In verse 32, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and they married wives. And so Noah has his family to help him to build the ark. Another thought in this, uh, God's preparation, is that God gives the warning. In chapter 6, verse 1, it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, notice, my spirit shall not always strive with man for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. In other words, God's going to shorten man's life. He's not going to live for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years anymore. And after the flood, men's lives were shortened. And uh, there were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that the sons of God came in, the daughters of men, and they bare children to them. And the same became mighty men of which were of old, men of renown. Verse 5, And God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping things and fowls of the air, for repenteth me that I have made them. And so God gives a warning here. The warning is really part of the preparation. I'm thankful that God's, God gives warning before judgment comes. Number two in this, God's grace is seen. Let's just keep reading. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Think about that for a minute. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That means that Noah was walking with God close enough to see his eyes. I understand God is a spirit, doesn't have physical eyes. I understand that. But Noah could see what God was thinking is the idea. And though God was, God's patience had run out, and it was time for judgment to fall, yet Noah could see that there was still grace in God's heart, in God's mind, in God's eyes. There was still grace there. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And here it is. These are the generations of Noah. Verse 9, Noah was a just man, perfect in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And the earth was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. 
And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, here's the warning, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. And so God gives Noah a warning. In God's grace is seen in, first, warning before judgment. A warning before judgment. I'm thankful for that, aren't you? That God brings, gives a warning before judgment comes. There's time to repent. There's time to get right if we pay attention. And I, know, I even noticed in the pattern, a pattern in the Scripture that, remember when he told Abraham before he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah? And he told uh, <coughs> Jonah before he was planning to destroy Nineveh. And the destruction did not come at that time. He told many before Israel went into captivity. And he told Moses before all the plagues of Egypt destroyed the land. And he told Joshua and Rahab before Jericho was destroyed. And there's many other stories in the Bible where God warned before judgment came. So there was time, there was grace there to repent. There was time to repent. In Ezekiel 3 and also 33, God warns about taking the warning. So not only is there judgment coming and a warning about the judgment, but there's a warning about the warning uh, that's coming about the judgment. And God is gracious in warning us multiple times before judgment comes. I wonder if our country is paying attention to the warnings that have come over and over and over and over still. And so God is faithful and gracious in warning before judgment comes. I also see God's grace in this, in the plans for the ark. Look at chapter 6, verse 14. Let's keep reading. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Rooms shalt thou make in the ark, and thou shalt pitch it within and without. This is the fashion of it, that thou shalt make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, and the breadth 50 cubits, and the height 30 cubits. A window shalt thou make in the ark. In a cubit shalt thou finish it above, and the, and the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof, with lower second and third stories shalt thou make it. And so in the dimensions of the ark, specific measurements, the type of material, how to waterproof it, its design, it wasn't a sailboat, it wasn't motorized, it was more like a barge. It's just designed to sit there and float. <laughs> it's not designed to motor around. And uh, the details of the room, make rooms in it, make three stories and one window in the top and one door in the side. And, and this ark was big enough and safe enough for all the animals God wanted to put in it and for Noah and his family. This floating zoo, floating barn, floating barge. 500, about 500 feet long, about 50 feet high, about 75 feet wide. You can imagine this building, if it was stretched out that way, could picture the ark. Imagine living in here in a three-story building while there's a flood going on for a year. Now, I'll just go back home. <laughs> I also see God's grace in plans for the future. Look at chapter 6, verse 3. Uh, the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for yet he is flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. So while God shortened man's life after the flood, man would still live on after the flood. And so God is saying, I'm not going to destroy man forever and ever, and there's not going to be any more. There's going to be people living after the flood. And so I can see God's grace in that. Look at verse 14. Make an ark 
And we just read that. There's safety for Noah and his family. There's preservation of life after the flood. I also see God's grace in preserving the animal kingdom. Look at verse 19. Of every living thing of all flesh, two of every sort, shalt thou bring into the ark, to keep them alive with thee, and they shall be male and female, of fowls after their kind, of cattle after their kind. And every creeping thing of the, after, of the earth after his kind, two of every sort, shall come with thee to keep them alive. And so God is preserving the animal kingdom, not only for their comfort and personal safety, but also for man's service. We can eat them, and we can use them as tractors. And so there is value in the animals. I also see God's grace in, in all of this, in Him waiting seven more days. Uh, not that one, but in the preaching of Noah. Let's take your Bible over to 2 Peter chapter 2. In 2 Peter 2, we're told that Noah was not only a builder, but he was also a preacher. 2 Peter 2 and verse 5. 2, 5. And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. I doubt that Noah had a church building and, <laughs> and all of that we think of as a preacher. But while he's building, he's telling people that come by, what are you doing? Why are you building a boat? It's going to rain. What is rain? It's going to, God's going to flood the whole earth because he's tired of all the sin and he's preaching while he's building. And they disregard, reject, and neglect his sermons. But Noah was faithful to preach to those people so that, the Scripture says, they were without excuse because there was a preacher there. So I see God's grace in the preaching of Noah, but I also see God's grace in him waiting seven more days. Back in Genesis again, look at chapter 7 and verse 1. So God's given the command and the measurements and all the details to build the ark, to get ready. The flood is coming. And so verse seven, chapter 7, verse 1, the Lord commanded Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark, for, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation." Of every clean beast thou shalt take unto thee by sevens, male and his female, of the beasts that are not clean by two, and male and his female, of fowls also of the air, by sevens, male and his female, to keep them alive upon the face of the, all the earth. For yet seven days, God's waiting seven more days. Isn't that interesting? I see God's mercy and grace in that, in just waiting seven. He didn't have to wait seven more days. God could have just brought the flood and it's done. But he waited seven more days a little bit longer to give people a little bit more time to change their minds, to repent, and to come to the ark. He waited seven more days, and I will cause it to rain upon the earth forty days and forty nights, and every living substance that I have made will I destroy off the face of the earth in seven more days. I also see God's grace in that the Lord shut the door. Look at verse 5. And Noah did according to all that God had commanded him, and Noah was six hundred years old when the flood waters a flood of waters was upon the earth. So Noah was 500 when Shem, Ham, and Japheth were born, and Noah was 600 when the flood of waters came. So a little bit less or so than 100 years it took him to build the ark. And so Noah, <clears throat> verse 5, where did we go? And Noah did according to all the... He was 600 years old, verse 7, And Noah went in and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him into the ark because of the waters of the flood. Of the clean beasts, we read that in verse 11. In the 600th year of, of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, the same day where all the fountains of the great deep broken up and the windows of heaven were open. Um, 
I missed the verse that I wanted. Where did it go? We're coming to it. In the, verse 13, In the selfsame day entered Sham, Ham, and Japheth, the sons of Noah, and Noah's wife, and the three wives of his son with them into the ark, verse 14, and they and every, every beast after his kind, the cattle after their kind, and every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth after his kind, and every fowl after his kind, and every bird of every sort. And they went in unto Noah into the ark, two and two of all flesh, wherein is the breath of life. And they went in and went with them in male and female of all flesh, as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in." And I can see God's grace in that. Noah might have not got the door shut. It might have leaked. I don't know. But God shut the door. Time for repentance is gone. The opportunity is gone. But Noah is safe in the ark. And God shut the door. I can see some security in that, can't you? Eternal security is a good picture of this closed door. Safe in the ark. I love that. God shut the door. Well, number three, God's judgment comes. Verse 17, the flood was 40 days upon the earth, and the waters increased and bare up the ark till it was lifted up above the earth. And the waters prevailed and were increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark went upon the face of the waters, and the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth, and all the high hills were under the whole, that were under the whole heaven were covered. Fifteen cubits upward did the waters prevail, and the mountains were covered. And all flesh died that moved that moveth upon the earth, both of fowl and of cattle and of beasts, of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth, and every man in whose nostrils there was the breath of life, and all that was in the dry land died. And of every living substance was destroyed from, from on the face of the ground, both of man, of cattle, of creeping things, of the fowl of the heaven that were destroyed from the earth. And Noah only remained alive, and they that were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed upon the earth 150 days. If you could go out into space just for a minute during this time, you would look at the earth and it would look like a big ball of water. The gravity was holding all that water to the earth, and everything was covered on the earth. It just looked like a big old drop of water. Everything was covered. God's judgment came just as he had promised, and the very landscape of the earth was changed. Everything was destroyed, and everything was altered. And what the earth looked like before the flood, it didn't look like that after the flood. God changed everything. And God destroyed the animals and almost all the fish. There were some fish that did not, did not die. The humans, the land animals and, uh, died. And God brought this giant destruction upon the earth. God promised it would come because of sin, and it came. Not only did the, the world outside the earth suffer terrible judgment, but Noah and his family suffered too. Think of the loss of their family and friends that did not get into the ark, that had opportunity, but they didn't get in. Think of uh, living in that giant barn for a year. <laughs> I wouldn't want to live in a barn for a year, would you, with all those animals? But they did it. That was God's plan, and they lived through it. So judgment came. The flood came. But now, number four, judgment ends and renewal begins. Chapter 8 and verse 1. And God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the cattle that was with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth, and the waters assuaged the fountains also of the deep and the windows of heaven were stopped. And the rain from heaven was restrained and the waters returned from off the earth continually. After the end of the 150 days, the waters were abated. 
Um, look at chapter 9 and verse 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Verse 11 of that same chapter. And I will establish my covenant with you. Neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood. Neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the token of the covenant which I make between me and, thee, and you. Every living thing that is, in, that is with you for perpetual generations. I do set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. And so God put his rainbow in the cloud to remind him of his promise not to destroy the world again with a flood. Someday the world's going to be destroyed, but not with a flood this time. It'll be destroyed with fire. And God's going to set the whole world on fire one more time in great disastrous judgment over sin. Judgment ends and renewal begins. This is a fascinating story. We've gone through it quickly. There's a ton of details that, we've, that I've not gone through. If you ever get a chance, go to the Ark Encounter. Go to Answers in Genesis and uh, do some research into creation science. And um, evolution has wrecked some of science. Stick with the Bible. The Bible is, a, is, is not a science book, but it is true when it speaks about science. And uh, there's, a, there's a lots and lots of details. Study the ark, study the flood, and you'll find that God is true and God keeps his promises and God is not to be trifled with. God is not to be trifled with. So tonight we're going to talk about, through this story, uh, building faith in God's warnings. And God brings warnings even to us as Christians, even to his children. God brings warnings into our life that there's judgment down there. You need to be careful. Watch out for this person, that person. If you do this, this is going to happen. There's, there's warnings that come. I want to give you some sources for warnings. You might want to write them down. There are sources of God's warnings. Number one is the Word of God. That is our number one first source that we should run to for God's warnings. If you're wondering, is this right, is this wrong, check out the book. Go back to the manual and see if this is right or this is wrong. Take your Bible to Romans chapter 15. The Bible is a book of warnings. The Bible has warnings in it. Warnings about behavior and warnings about people and warnings about business uh, engagements. There's warnings throughout the Scripture. <clears throat> Romans 15, verse 4, For whatsoever things were written for aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience <coughs> and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. The stories of the Old Testament and the New Testament are there for us to examine, see how they did it, and copy the good and throw out the bad. We're to look, look at what people did and how they did things and pattern after the good. God gave us examples throughout the Scripture. Go over one more to 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 11. Now, these same stories. Now, all these, thing, these things happened unto them for in samples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. And so God's given to us stories in the Bible recorded for us that we can look back and see. And if you look through the stories, if you read your Bible, you'll find yourself somewhere in the Scripture. You really will. You'll find your situation. You'll find this decision. You'll find this problem that you're facing somewhere in the Scripture. It's been addressed, and God has the answers for it. So the main source is the Word of God. 
That's why it's important for you to read the Bible every day. That's what the Scripture says. Read the Bible every day. Read it every day. You don't have to read the whole thing every day, but read parts of it. Read your favorite parts of it. Read the parts that are not your favorite, but read the Bible every day. It'll change your life. Be in church. This is a church that is built on the Word of God. Our pastor is faithful to preach the Word of God. There are scriptures on the, on the wall all the time. We need that. We need that foundation in our life. And so the Word of God is our number one main source of God's warnings. But here's a few others you could jot down. Another one is the man of God. Flip back to Ezekiel 33. Ezekiel 33 is Ezekiel was a prophet. There are other prophets in the scriptures. We could, we could uh, title them preachers. Um, the man of God is a source of warnings. Ezekiel 33 and verse 7. Ezekiel 33, there it is, verse 7. So thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman of the house of Israel. Therefore thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them from me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die, if thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Nevertheless, if thou warn the wicked of his way to, to turn from it, and if he do not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. And so Ezekiel was a prophet, and Ezekiel was commissioned with the, with the job to warn Israel, warn people, this is wrong, this is going to get you in trouble, this is wicked, this is sin, don't do that. And if you do it, you're going to get in trouble. And the man of God, our pastor's job is to warn us. That is his job. And he might do it out in the lobby, he might do it one-on-one -on -one in his office in counseling, he might do it right here from the pulpit, but his job is to warn us about sin, a warn us about behaviors that we think are probably okay. The man of God's job is to warn us. So be in church, be faithful. Um, some more in this, parents are sources of God's warnings. Teachers can be sources, police, and so forth. News or the signs of the times are also sources of God's warnings. Matthew 16 has some thoughts about that. Signs in the earth and signs in the sky are sources of God's warnings. And then there's the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit. That's a big one. The still, small voice of the Holy Spirit. Take your Bible over to John 14. When you got saved, God gave you the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God to come and live in your heart, live in your body to help you to live for God. And He will speak to you. He will tell you what's right and what's wrong and you shouldn't be going this way and this is what you ought to be doing. It is His job to speak to us, to warn us. John 14, verse 26. 14, 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Look at chapter 16, verse 13. 16, 13. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. There are several things listed here that he will do for us, and there is more. Just keep reading through these chapters. The Holy Spirit's job is to guide us, to direct us, to warn us, to show us things that are coming, show us what we should have been doing and why we didn't do it, and what's your motive and all that. The Holy Spirit is that still, small voice. Don't ignore that. Don't ignore that. Never ignore that still, small voice. Now, if you're unsure 
about a voice that you hear, you check it out with the book. You go right back to the manual. If you're not sure if this sounds right, you go right back to the manual and check it out and make sure if it is. If so-and-so is saying this thing and I don't know, it sounds okay, but it kind of, I don't know, there's red flags flying, go right back to the book and check it out. Listen, the Holy Spirit will never, never contradict the Word of God. He never will. So if He's speaking to you, it's going to line up with what's in the Scripture, what they're saying may or may not. So you have to be careful of what you listen to and what you hear. It should and it ought to line up with the Word of God. If it doesn't, you reject it. You stick with what's in the book. The written Word of God is a filter. It is a filter for all the voices that we hear. We have the written Word of God, a filter, to give us direction and balance for all the voices that we hear. And it is important. It is important that our kids understand this is the filter for things that you hear at school. This is the filter for the things you hear on the internet, the, thing, the things that you hear on all the social media. This is the filter that filters out the junk and we keep the good. This is the filter. So the sources of God's warning, and um, that's a point we could just preach on forever and ever and have all kinds of fun with it. Well, let's go on. I want you to see also the purposes for God's warning, the purpose, purpose. A couple of thoughts on this. God warns us for a purpose, but... His warnings are always rooted in love. Generally speaking, warnings are rooted in love. Think about this. A total stranger, if he has even the minutest amount of love, would warn you if this terrible thing is coming down the road. The bridge is out. If he's even got the smallest amount of love, he would warn you. Only a person with no love at all would just let you go on a wreck. Warnings are rooted in love, and God's warnings are rooted in love. God is love, therefore He will warn us before we wreck our life. Not only are they rooted in love, but they are for our protection. And uh, don't ever think that God is this big monster in the sky with the club waiting to club you as soon as you do something wrong. That's, that's not biblical. That's, that's myth or folklore or stupid, I don't know what. But that's not how, that's not our God. He is our friend, He is our shepherd, He is our Father, and He cares if we wreck our lives. He cares if we marry the wrong person. He cares if we get on drugs. He cares if we have thoughts of suicide. He cares if we waste all of our money and we go bankrupt. He cares about that stuff. And so He has warnings for us, like a father would his children, for our protection. Warnings expose danger. That's number one in this. Proverbs 6.23. I want you to see this. Proverbs 6, verse 23. Warnings expose danger because of love and for our protection. 6.23. For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light, and reproofs of instruction are the way of life. Am I always going to have people telling me what to do? Yes. <laughs> because it is a way of life. And uh, one of my friends when I was a kid said, I got tired of people telling me what to do, so I joined the Marines. <laughs> well, let's solve that. <laughs> uh, the Word <clears throat> is a lamp. The commandment is a lamp and the law is light. The Scripture says, Thy Word, I want you to get this picture. The, Thy Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. 
I will hide its words in my heart that I might not sin against God. It tells me where I'm at, what I'm standing on, what's right around me, and it tells me what's going to happen. It is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That's important because we don't know what's coming tomorrow. And we don't know what's going to happen if we make this decision. What's going to, what are the consequences of it? Sometimes we don't know. But God gives warnings. And the scripture, when the scripture says, thou shalt not, God is saying, don't hurt yourself. It's that simple. Don't hurt yourself. God's not taking from us some pleasure that, we, that would be good for us. When he says, thou shalt not, leave it alone. It's going to hurt you. Not only do, do God's warnings protect us and expose danger to us, but they also prove that he keeps his promises. God's warnings prove he keeps his promises. This will help every Christian in the whole world if we simply believe that God keeps his promises. God said it, therefore he will do it. I will keep you saved. I will help you to live for me. I will comfort you in sorrow. I will give you joy when there just is no joy around you. God's pro- he keeps his promises. Think about this. If God knows everything and he made a promise he couldn't keep, he would be a liar. Because he knew he couldn't keep it. If he knows everything, he would be a liar. Our God's not a liar. And if he makes a promise, he will keep it. Titus 1, Hebrews 6, there are two immutable things, his promise, his oath, God's promises he will keep. In bad times, in good times, his promises, are he is faithful to them. And the more we take steps of faith on his promises, the more we, are, we become secure in them. And we trust him more. We depend upon him more. They prove that he keeps his promises. You know, Noah's Ark for us is a picture of salvation. Noah's Ark is a picture of the Savior. It is a picture of salvation. And just like when Noah and his family and the animals got in the ark, they were safe from the judgment. I want you to see a comparison through this, the picture of salvation um, in the ark. The ark first was prepared by Noah at God's direction. And Jesus was also prepared, uh, the Messiah was prepared through the lineage of David. Now, we know that Jesus lived before he was born, of course. But when he came and was born in Bethlehem, he was born of Mary. And she had father and mother and grandparents and all, all that goes back. And so Jesus was prepared through the lineage of David. Our Savior was prepared for us. Number two in this, judgment was also foretold. Judgment was foretold in the flood, and judgment on sin has been foretold for us today. There's a burning, fiery hell that God has made for the devil and his angels, but all those also who choose to reject Christ will one day go there. And what a terrible, terrible thought it is that they never get out. So while the opportunity is today to repent, today to be saved, to avoid that judgment, take the warning. Take the warning. Judgment was foretold. Number three, salvation was to get in the ark. And not only the seven days, but the hundred years people had opportunity to get in the ark. 
even help Noah build, and they chose not to. The salvation for them was to get in the ark. The salvation for us today is to get into Christ, accept Him as Savior, and we are put into Christ. And we are, when we're put into Christ, we are safe, we are secure, and there is no losing your salvation. <laughs> we are eternally secure. That's what the book says. We are eternally secure in Christ. So when we, are, when we trust Christ as our Savior, we are put into Him eternally secure forever and ever. He doesn't kick out His kids. Number four in this, there was one door in the ark, one entry. It wasn't the window. There was one door. And for us today, there is one door of salvation, and that is faith through Jesus. He said, I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved. So go in and out and find pastor. There's one door, only one entrance. There's no back door, and there's no back way of salvation. It is through faith in Jesus only. That's all. Number six in this, the door was shut and time ran out. God was faithful to His promise. God was forbearing. God was patient. He waited a long time and people had opportunity, just like today, but there came a time when the door was shut and the time ran out. And there will be a time one day when the time, the opportunity for salvation will run out. And there won't be any more opportunity. And so somebody foolishly says, well, when the Lord comes back, then I will, in that, in that split second, I will trust Christ and I will, I will get saved and I will go then. And it won't work that way. There's no way. Because no man knows when the Lord is coming. And He's coming so fast, there's no time to even think about it. So the time is today. The time is tonight. The time is right here. While we're in church is the best opportunity to be saved if you're not. There's going to become a time when that opportunity goes away. Even after the tribulation, the Bible says, after the Lord comes back, the Bible says that there's a deception, a great deception that comes that those who have heard the gospel before will not believe the gospel after the Lord comes back. There's a great deception. And so if you think that I'll just wait till the Lord comes back and I'll do it then, it won't happen. It won't happen. Your, 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 your fate will be sealed. The time is now. That's why the scripture says today, today, now is the time of salvation. Don't wait. The door was shut. I want you to take your Bible one more, one more verse tonight. Matthew 24. In Matthew 24, in verse 36. Matthew 24, 36. <clears throat> but of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Jesus is talking. But as in the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Life just went on as normal. No issues. Ignore the crazy guy on the hill with the boat thing. He's nuts anyway. Ignore those Christian people down there at the church. They don't know what they're talking about anyway. It's, it's been like this forever and ever. And, and, uh, and then the Lord came and took them all away. Judgment came, took them all away. So the point of this message is, don't ignore God's warnings. And tonight, if you've never been saved, tonight is the night for you to be saved. It's an opportunity. 
I can't save you. No one else can save you. Only the Lord can save you. And if you'll humble yourself and turn from sin, turn to Christ, that's called repentance in the Scripture, He will save you. For whosoever, anybody, anytime, anywhere, shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a promise. It's a promise that God made. And He will keep His promises. How many of you have been saved tonight? God's kept His promise. You called on Him and He saved your soul. Can I see your hand? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. All right. God, God kept His promise. He saved your soul and He changed your life. And uh, when God comes into your heart, when He saves you, he, he makes a change on the inside. It doesn't mean everything around you changes and now it's the Garden of Eden. That's not how it is. This is not heaven yet, but it will be someday. But it gets to be heaven in here when He brings His peace and His joy and His forgiveness, His washing, and He changes you on the inside and it starts to show up on the outside. Boy, that's a good stuff right there. Thank you so much for joining us today. It is such a privilege to share God's Word with you. If God has spoken to your heart because of the message, stop right now and respond to whatever it is God is asking of you. Don't wait another minute. You can pray right where you're at and ask God for His help. If this message has helped you in any way, we would love to hear from you. Let us know if you have any questions or we can help you with your decision. Jesus asked his disciples, Who do ye say that I am? And he offers the same question to you today. What would your answer be?